The Most Pleasant Exhaustion Podcast is brought to you by ITO Coaching and Performance. You can find them at itlcoaching.com. ITO Coaching and Performance exists to build a community of athletes set on reaching goals and serving the community. They have a passion for helping people achieve their goals and dreams. ITO coaches are real people with phones, emails, and the desire to spend time with you during your training. They are vested in ITL athletes. ITL takes a communal approach to coaching, so there's always someone available to answer questions and to help adjust the training schedule. An ITL coach will be glad to meet with you to chat about your goals and find the best plan to help you meet those goals. Again, their website is itlcoaching.com. The Most Pleasant Exhaustion Podcast is also brought to you by Blue Pineapple Travel. Blue Pineapple Travel can be found at bluepineappletravel.com. Blue Pineapple Travel are experienced travel agents who help you design the perfect trip. They are all well-traveled and knowledgeable, and they will be your advocates from start to finish. The agents at Blue Pineapple Travel love to help people plan their travel. Their goal is to match you with the trip that you want. Whether you're looking for relaxation or adventure, traveling solo or with a group, inside the U.S. or abroad, they are there to match you to the trip for you. Blue Pineapple Travel will help you curate all of the travel information out there to create the exact vacation that you want. Again, their website is bluepineappletravel.com. And finally, the Most Pleasant Exhaustion Podcast is brought to you by SlayRx. You can find them at www.slayrx.com. SlayRx is a sports nutrition company that makes products for athletes, team sports, and anyone that trains or works outdoors. SlayRx was founded by an endurance athlete and University of Georgia food scientist who was unhappy with the choices he was offered on course in long course triathlons. He started making his own mixes and now you can enjoy those same mixes. SlayRx offers differing levels of electrolytes in their hydration products and you can get them with or without calories. You can either take their online test at SlayerX.com or you can be tested in their laboratory to determine the exact amount of liquid and electrolytes that you need to be consuming while racing. In addition to hydration products, SlayerX offers fueling products like their product Diesel, which is available with or without the optimum level of caffeine that is scientifically proven to legally enhance performance while limiting GI upset and diuretic impact. If you're looking for alternative gels, try SlayerX Spark Plug, a Pop Rocks-like powder that combines the same electrolytes that are in their other products, encapsulated caffeine, and quickly absorbed carbohydrates. It comes in a plastic tube so it can be carried while running, and it will work to enhance and fuel your alertness, general happiness, and performance. Remember, tell them the Most Pleasant Exhaustion Podcast sent you by using the coupon code PLEASANT2020 at checkout on their website, and you'll get 10% off anything you purchase there. That's SlayerX.com, Pleasant2020. Test, don't guess, with SlayerX. Thanks to all of our sponsors for making the Most Pleasant Exhaustion Podcast possible. Brought to you by ITL Coaching and Performance, Blue Pineapple Travel, and Slayer X. My name is George Darden. I'm a college professor, a father of twin boys. I'm an endurance athlete of 30 years, and I'm a coach here in Metro Atlanta. And I'm Patrick Ollinger. I'm an uh, endurance athlete, coach, and just overall average Joe here in Atlanta, Georgia. And I'm Michelle Frank. I'm a mom to three girls. I work full-time as a CPA, and I'm also an endurance athlete here in Atlanta, Georgia. Right on. This is the highlight of the week for all three of us because, well, it's the highlight of the week for me. Maybe I'm speaking out of term for both of you, but <laughs> uh, we get to get together here socially distanced as we have been over the course of the past two months here, but uh, getting to talk about endurance athletes and athletics and what's going on in our sports. Um, let's check in real quick. Patrick, you're working a ton, man. How's it going? Oh, it's great. And I got to say, this is one of the highlights for me too. I mean, I get to speak to one of my closest friends and one of the smartest people I know. 
And I also get to talk to you, George. So that's kind of <laughs> nice too. <laughs> nice, nice. I had no idea that you and Michelle were so close. Although I will be the first to admit how intelligent she is. Absolutely. So okay, very good. But but you've been working with like you have people who are on the West Coast, right? And so you have like these late night phone calls and stuff. Oh yeah, that's part of the fun. Is um, I work with people in Europe a lot. Um, people in Europe, UK, Belgium, West Coast, East Coast. So it's kind of interesting. Um, I can tell you the fascinating part is to see how all the different people are having to react to like the quarantine. And so first of all, whenever, you know, I'll get on the phone with somebody that might be from Belgium or Germany. The first thing they'll ask me is like, you're in Georgia. Are you going to the barber? Are you going bowling? Like what's, what's going on here? <laughs> I mean, everybody knows that Georgia is basically setting the precedent for, you know, the return to life without social distancing. So yeah, yeah. So yeah, we'll see how it goes. Um, you said you said going to the barber. Yeah, it is now acceptable or it's legal or it's within guidelines here in the state of Georgia to to go to the barber. Have you gone, Patrick? No, I need to. We I I guess got I clippers either. coming today. So very nice. My show. What about you? Swimmer here next week. No, I have no. a daughter who's pretty high risk, so I think we're going to stay away from getting her hair cut and stuff. Right on, yeah, right so. on. I think that's good. Michelle, how's everything going with you? Yeah, not much has changed. Um, your I venue mean, has changed. You're not in your closet anymore. <laughs> yeah, I got out of my closet after watching our first YouTube video last week, watching about 10 minutes and then throwing a small hissy fit about how much I hated it. Um, so big thank you to Jeff and Kelly Kingsfield um, right for helping us, you know, figure out a better place for me in my house to sit. Right um, on, I really right appreciate on. his help. So, yeah, but otherwise, Jeff, just... Jeff Kingsfield of Kingsfield Photography. So find him on Instagram and check out all of his bird photos. They're pretty fresh, but keep going. Yeah. So just a pretty normal week. Um, still working from home. My office is making a soft opening on May 18th, but only uh, five people will return at a time. And it's okay. almost all admin level people and no client meetings or anything like that will take place. So for now, I'm running in the mornings, sitting at my desk during the day, um, waiting for one bag of bread flour to show up in this city because I can't seem to find any, but otherwise, pretty much just status quo for the last 60 days or so. My my wife has been baking a ton, as many people have, because you know, for a variety of reasons, not the least of which is that like when you're baking and you're kneading dough, it keeps you in the moment, right? Yeah. And sure. so, 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 so it takes you away from kind of all the, the, the stress and strain and storm of, of what's going on in the much wider world. Um, and she was struggling to find flour and her mom opened up her, her pantry and had, I kid you not, a 25 pound bag of flour. It, and Casey took a picture of it. It was the size of her torso. <laughs> How do you not so, know that there's a 25 pound oh, bag of flour? Oh, in your oh she knew. Oh, her oh. mom knew. It's just that her mom had to, to weigh like how bad her daughter was going to need it before she was willing to give it up. Well, uh, just tell your mother-in-law you... I'd pay big money for five pounds of that 25 pound bag of flour. So, yeah, I guess just so. imagine if she like drops that 25 pounds and it like spills everywhere. I can't imagine the mess that would make. Dude, I, I, I was putting it in our pantry. <laughs> I was putting it in our pantry so carefully. I was like even the slightest <laughs> little hole in this thing and it's just going to go everywhere. So, but, uh, but no, we've had days. freshly baked bread for sandwiches and all sorts of things over the course of the last little while. It's been great. Uh, how's your virtual 10K? Not your virtual 10K, my bad. Your 10K time trial training going, Michelle. I totally didn't make that mistake on purpose just to troll you. Yeah, totally trolling me. Thank you <laughs> once again. Um, then, by the way, isn't that 10K that you're doing on the track, isn't it the day before your birthday? It is the day before my birthday. Um, how's the training going? Yes. I don't know. It doesn't feel very good, but... 
did you look at my workout today? I mean, I don't yeah, know. I haven't I looked at your workout yet. You, you bring up a good point, though. It's been interesting. Um, you know, we, we've talked before about how we don't really know how this is going to shake out. Nobody does. But it, it's interesting how training has to evolve with the uncertainty, right? Yeah. Like, I don't know how, how it's affected y'all, but I got to tell you, it's been kind of nice for me to be like, you know what? I don't know the next time I'm going to race. I'm just going to take it easy and run a bunch of easy days, a lot of medium long runs, long runs. And then when we open back up, I'll insert, you know, more strict or focused training. But I want to kind of get your insight in terms of how you've evolved over the last few weeks as we've kind of progressed from, okay, this is a two-week quarantine to like sure. multi-week, multi-month. And just how, it, what effect it's had on you kind of mentally, emotionally, you know, throughout the training. Sure. I so had a few different reactions. Yeah, I think, um, I think I mentioned before there was kind of the general, I'm going to keep training and see how it goes. Um, and maybe something else will come on the calendar. And then there were the people that maybe were slated for an April or May race that just kind of cut it off, dropped their mileage big time, took a chance to reset. Um, I would say that once we found out Boston was canceled, um, I think we just cut back on the workouts, but I didn't cut back on the mileage at all. And then took a little bit of a down week and just decided I needed something to focus on. So, um, you know, if I didn't, I 10 K time trial on a track seemed like something new and different. And I felt like it would give me a focus. And now I think I'm in that place where I feel like I'm in really good shape, but I'm not sure what type of really good shape I'm in. Um, going out and doing these track workouts that are geared towards a 10 K make me rethink that I'm in good shape. So, um, I'm happy to have something to focus on, but, I'm definitely a little bit frustrated when I'm out there trying to hit these paces for the shorter, yeah. faster stuff. So Absolutely. I don't know. We'll see how it goes. I like, I like having something on the calendar though. I think that's a big, right. That's what I was going to say. I'm, I'm like you, Michelle. So, so I, you know, I, I have been riding my bike entirely. Um, and that's all I've been doing, but I've been doing it every day. Like as opposed to doing, you know, two, three days a week as cross training for running. I've been riding my bike every single day. Um, and I've gotten in the habit of actually racing my bike virtually on Mondays. And so four of the last five Mondays, I've actually done a race. Interesting. Um, and so, so two of them were on Zwift. Uh, one of them was on full gas and one of them was on trainer road. And that one was a little bit iffy. It wasn't actually a race. It was a, it was a, what was it like a time trial? It's what we call a ramp test. Mm -hmm. Um, but it was, it's a race level effort. Um, and so, and I'm already like looking forward to my next race on Monday. Um, and then I have some, some, some friends and I are going to do this thing that's called the Tour of Suffer Landria, which is a challenge. It's not a race, but it's nine days of cycling, a bunch of Sufferfest cycling workouts. Um, and we're going to start that on the 17th and go through Memorial Day on the 25th. And so I'm kind of just like, okay, I'm going to be full-blown cycling until then, go through that, and then kind of reassess and see how I'm injured, how I'm feeling, all that sort of thing. So for me, I've very much needed to – I need something on – I have to put something on the calendar. Even though I know that, like, as a marathoner, the stuff that I really want to do well in, that's several months down the road. I need something in the meantime. Even if it's something, like, that's not really all that meaningful, like, you know, a crit on Zwift. Um, I've been doing those and they're fun and it's a good competitive outlet for me. It keeps me motivated in between workouts, you know, sure. that makes a lot of sense. And I kind of like what you're doing too, is you're taking some of the element of chance out of it. Right. Like if, if at this point you base your training around, like I have to run the Philadelphia marathon or something, mm -hmm. obviously, I mean, don't do that. Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah right. Exactly. Um, but you're kind of in a way by taking that strategy, you're almost kind of taking it into your own hands and saying, look, I can't control what a race is going to be run, like what big event we're going to have, mm -hmm. but I can still set goals. I can still have time trials and I can still just, you know, readjust how I approach competitive training. So I kind of like that idea. 
Yeah, for sure. It's, it's completely opposite from what I'm accustomed to though. I'm yeah, accustomed sure. to saying, here's my goal a year away, like literally mm -hmm. like really, really, really far away. And then gearing everything towards that. Now it's literally the opposite. I don't have one uh, six months, a year away. And instead, like I'm looking forward to that race on Monday though. Do you know what I mean? Right. Um, and, and there's no bigger plan into which these smaller races are fitting. And so that right. for me has been a little bit of a shift. Um, for sure. Patrick, you're just, you're, you're, you're just kind of running easy and enjoying yourself, right? No goals, short-term or mid-term or long-term, right? <laughs> yeah, or, or maybe a, a different way to put it is I don't have any time goals because, um, you know, I, I got in the marathon and just like you for the spring and then this all happened like a week or two later. And then it was like, okay, another show I'm doing in the fall, hopefully Boston next spring, who knows? So I've kind of made my goal for the year to be like, you know what, I want to run X many miles this year. Mm -hmm. Right. I've kind of used Strava as a way to kind of gamify oh, the cool. system and be like, you know what, I'm just going to focus on miles. Mm -hmm. Is it a perfect metric? Of course it's not. Right. We all know people, especially like in high school that obsess over mileage when, you know, it's, it almost gets to be too, you know, too, too much. Right. But for me, you know, kind of where I am, I kind of enjoy that. This is one of my weaknesses as a runner is, mm -hmm. you know, the, the, that kind of long, slow distance. And you and I have had this conversation before on the pod and various runs, et cetera. Um, you know, after years and years of training for 5Ks and the mile on the track in high school and college, um, I haven't had too many years of just putting in the mileage. And so I've kind of been able to just enjoy um, focusing on the easy running and then set my goal to be like, you know what, this year I'm going to run more miles than I've run any year since college. Right on. Um, right I kind on. of just take, take a new approach. And then the nice thing about that too, as we've talked about before on this podcast, and, uh, is that that kind of long, slow distance it doesn't provide much value for that particular like training cycle, right? It doesn't necessarily provide a lot of value if you're training for like the spring race in the summer, but it provides a lot of value a year from now. Mm -hmm. So it's kind of nice that I've just been able to be like, you know what, I'm going to just change my goal. I met my, my time goal for the spring marathon, but now I want to make this a yearly mileage goal. Right and on, I think man. that's what a lot of people are having to do to figure out just like what you did and say, I'm either going to change the way I measure my goal. I'm going to ch change the metrics that I measure um, or the frequency with which I kind of measure or, or you know, go for the goal. And it's, it's been interesting to see how people react because a lot of it depends on your personality, what your personal, what your lifestyle requires. Like you talked about, um, you know, you need something to kind of motivate you each week or every few weeks. Right now, I almost need a chance to take a step back and, and take a, a deep breath. So it's been interesting to talk to our different runners and, and see what they're all doing. And Michelle, sure. I'm sure you can add to that as well. For sure. For sure. I mean, I think the bottom line is that, that we're all approaching it in different ways and, and each mm -hmm. one of those ways is equally valid and worthwhile. Right. And I think part of the key is knowing why you're approaching it that way. Right. Like if you and I were to just, if I were to try to race you on the track right now, you'd probably just beat me no. and it wouldn't be much fun. Okay. No, he wouldn't. <laughs> but, he's not but, in shape. I'm 13 but, okay, pounds over like, my race weight. And he's, okay, okay. and he's injured. <laughs> my point. Sorry. Yes, let's do this. Can we, can have... we do this? <laughs> Michelle's like, I've been waiting for this for years. <laughs> no, thanks. <laughs> the two 236 marathoners. Come on, no, 5K, 10K. What about a mile? You guys could race a mile. It'd be amazing. We'd all nope. come out and watch. No, thank you. Not I like... love to race. I love to race the mile. <laughs> George, nope. you would get your ass kicked. <laughs> okay. Not necessary. I will say, no, I don't know. Not taking the challenge. <laughs> okay. Um, but the point is, like, someone, to, to be more generic and not personal, someone who was focusing on speed and, and kind of riding their bike hard and that kind of nature, 
you know, they're going to be able to accomplish their speed goals more than someone like me, who are my goal is to just take yeah. it easy, put in the mileage, right? Conversely, and, they're all, and, they're, and they're all valid, good goals for sure. Yeah. And the key is just to know, all right, what are you doing and why? Right on. That way, if you were to try to like do something you're not trained for currently, you don't feel discouraged. You, you kind of know, hey, this is what I'm trained for right now. This is what I'm doing. This is my goal. And then, you know, if you want to change your goal or, or take a different approach, just know it's going to take a little bit of time. Right just on. like as we go from a 5K to the marathon, it takes a little time. So virtual races, I was starting to say this a second ago, virtual races though, regardless of the approach that you're taking, because I totally hear what, 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 what Patrick is saying, clearly a lot of people are taking the virtual race route. Clearly a lot. lot of people are setting goals for one another, right? So what was the piece of news this week, uh, Michelle, about Laz, the, the Barkley Marathon guy who I don't much like, but, but is pretty the only like famous person in ultra marathons along with Jim Almsley? Yeah, so Laz did uh, the great virtual race across Tennessee, which is a thousand kilometers and um, it's $60 to sign up and everybody just kind of tracks himself on what looks like you're running across the state of Tennessee. Right. Uh, it's and only you, been you open. You don't have to actually run across Tennessee. You just well, have to run a thousand Nobody's actually running months. across Tennessee, George, right. because it's right. virtual. Right. <laughs> um, but I think he already has 18,000 people that signed up and I'm pretty sure I mean, I, that quick math is right over a million dollars. So um, I think some of the money is going to go to charity, even though he hasn't specified what percentage of each race entry. But yeah, and there is a good handful of people that I guess a thousand kilometers wasn't a challenge enough. So there is an out and back hmm. that you can register for. So there will be people um, running, I guess, 2000 kilometers and you have until August 1st. So it's about you have three months to complete the distance. Mm -hmm. Yeah, uh, yeah we, what a we, hit. We, we, I mean, we, I never... We know yeah. people who have signed up for it. So a lot of people we know have signed up for it. Actually, mm -hmm. um, yeah. I saw the sixty dollars and was just like, ah, uh, I don't know. But yeah. uh, you know, probably you will and, run you the and distance I, you anyway. You and I hedged in a way they did, and I can guarantee you that 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 race director, or for that matter, I'll go on a limb and say, no race director ever in ultra ever. racing has made that much money from a single race. No way. Um, yeah. And here he puts out this virtual challenge and gets tens of thousands of people to pay $60 a piece for it. Yeah. Um, I mean, every race director, I mean, there are people that spend every year, all year planning for a local 5k for a few hundred people. Mm -hmm. And he just put something up on a website and mm -hmm. bam, over a million dollars in entry fees. So yeah. Yeah. Uh, people are craving a challenge, a goal, yeah. camaraderie, all of that. Uh, It'll be interesting to see, you know, how many people actually end up signing up versus how many people complete it. But words out for sure. <laughs> oh, yeah. When we talked about like with the Yeti challenge that a bunch of people we know did did a few weeks ago, a whole second round of people we know did did the Yeti, Yeti Ultra 24 hour challenge uh, just this past weekend. I yeah. mean, and it's those same things that we talked about on the podcast a couple of weeks ago that, that you know, it's social. You want a challenge. You want something, you know, some, something to do. Um, I actually signed up for a uh, for a virtual race today. <laughs> Which one? So, so for, for a virtual running race, it's not till June twenty eighth, and so I feel like maybe I can use a few lose a few pounds and 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 be ready to go and, and, and run a decent five k by then. But if I don't, it's okay. It's virtual. Um, but it's actually Nikki Hiltz's race. Okay. Um, and so, Michelle, give us the quick bio of Nikki Hiltz. Um, so the race, I believe, is co-sponsored by Golden Coast Track Club. Yeah, Coach yeah. Um, so she was a runner. She ran at Oregon, transferred to Arkansas. Um, she's very prominent in the uh, LGBTQ community. Um, very outspoken for that. You know, finishes races and takes the gay pride flag instead of maybe the United States of America flag. 
Um, and she basically posted a 5K virtual race and it uh, proceeds also go to the Trevor Project, which mm -hmm. is one of the main um, crisis hotlines, suicide prevention for um, LGBTQ youth mm -hmm. in America. Mm -hmm. So people, that also seems to be a huge hit. I don't know what the total number of people that have signed up are, but as soon as the entry opened, it was just, I think it shut the site down. So right on. Yeah. Yeah. It, she only opened it three, three days ago. Uh, right. And so, you know, we'll get a sense of how many people end up signing up for it, but she, she posted on Instagram and, and here's what she wrote. She put quote, the gay runner, a label yeah. I have learned to love and embrace because being gay and being a runner are two things I'm proud to be. I'm so excited to be able to, uh, to, to finally announce that on June 28th, Golden Crows Track Club and myself are putting on a virtual 5K where 100% of the proceeds will be donated directly to the Trevor Project, the leading national organization that provides crisis intervention and suicide prevention services to LGBTQ plus youth. As we all know, COVID-19 has impacted our lives in many ways and has also disproportionately affected countless people across the world, especially those in vulnerable communities. To all the LGBTQ plus people who may feel lonely and lost during this time, I want you to know that you are never alone and there's an entire community of people who love you. Runners, it's time to unite and show these young people that we are part of that community. We are here for them, we value them, and on June 28th, we will run for them. So join me in coming together and running for love because right now we need hashtag love more than ever. Registration is now open. Um, so yeah, I registered for that today, even if I'm not able to run, I, I wanted to support her and I want to support the Trevor Project. The Trevor Project is, as Michelle said, is um, specifically uh, designed to um, promote acceptance and, and a feeling of belonging for LGBTQ plus young people, um, among whom uh, not only victimization, but also suicide rates are abnormally high. Um, the Trevor Project, some of y'all might be familiar with it because they had a whole movement on YouTube about five, six years ago called It Gets Better. Where, where people were, were recording themselves and putting on YouTube saying, it gets better, it gets better. Uh, President Obama recorded one, um, um, uh, uh, Tim Gunn recorded one, like lots of different, and, and lots of you know, just sort of regular everyday Joes, like Patrick recorded one as well, just saying that, 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 that your life is rough right now because you're being bullied and victimized, but it gets better. Um, sure. And so, so it's something that I very much appreciate and respect. And so, so yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm excited to be supporting this, even if I don't end up making it the starting line of the virtual 5k, but I think I will, but I think I will. Fingers crossed for you. So right on. So <laughs> not going to be making any starting lines on the, on the track with, uh, with Patrick to run a mile. Um, but, uh, <laughs> but, but, but a virtual 5k to support the Trevor project, sign me up literally. All right. So. Let's talk about a couple pieces of research and a couple pieces of news here. And of course, everybody's favorite, the thing that is bringing us all joy. Um, research. I, I did see one piece of research uh, that is related to our lives here in quarantine, in lockdown as a result of COVID-19 that I thought everybody would be familiar with or would find useful. Um, there was a piece of research that came out just last week, as a matter of fact, from a bunch of researchers at the University of Texas in Austin. Um, it was in the Medicine and Science and Sports Exercise Journal, uh, and it's called Hourly Four-Second Sprints Prevent Impairment of Postprandial Fat Metabolism from Inactivity. Um, and basically what it was is these researchers at the University of Texas at Austin in 2016 did a bunch of testing on healthy young people who sat all day long. And what they found is if they sat all day long and then they had a really high fat meal, the triglycerides in their blood wouldn't be broken up all that well. Mm -hmm. um, and so they believe that sitting all day somehow caused a change in your physiology that, that made you incapable of breaking down fats and triglycerides. <clears throat> triglycerides. Those stayed in your blood. And as a result of that, you ended up uh, being less healthy and having myriad health issues. Um, so then last year, 
they found that even when those same young people or, or comparable young people interrupted their 10 hours a day of sitting or eight hours a day of sitting with a full hour of running at like zone two, like just regular running, they still experience difficulties with fat metabolism the next day. And so, so, so this study, what this study did is it, it first created control by having people sit all day long, of course. And then they had took a bunch of people, had them sit all day long, but then every hour at the end of the hour, they would pull them out of their chairs so they didn't have to be there anymore. And they would get onto this weird stationary bike thing where the flywheel works in such a way that you get to a maximal effort extremely quickly, right? And so they, they get on this bike and they pedal for four seconds, but it is like four hardcore sprinting seconds. And they would rest for 45 seconds and then they do it, they do it four more times. So five sets of a four second sprint, 45 seconds rest, right? So that's less than five minutes total every hour. Then they go sit back down again for 55 minutes. Then they'd get back up and they would do the whole thing again. And they did it once an hour for eight hours throughout the course of the day. And so if you add it all up over the course of the day, that's less than 40 minutes total that they actually spent getting on and off the bike and resting and all that sort of thing. And in terms of just like straight up exercise, it's 160 seconds. So two hours and 40 seconds worth of actual sprinting exercise that day. Otherwise, they sat all day and they had the same high fat meals and all that sort of thing. But what they found the next day is that the volunteers actually arrived at the lab with lower blood levels of triglycerides to start with. And they burned more fat, even though they were sitting during the next six hours. So their triglycerides remained about 30% lower throughout the six hours of monitoring than they had after the nonstop sitting. So in other words, breaking all of this up, breaking about all your sitting with something real short and intense actually might be able to, to undo some of the adverse effects of, of being sedentary throughout the course of the day. What do y'all think about that? So when I read the article, I wasn't nearly as hype as you because <laughs> is this really that different than what we learned just from the general theory of high intensity interval training? Mm -hmm. I mean, the study is, you know, it's, it's limited, um, but I don't know that the results are, I mean, it's appealing only, you know, four seconds of, I mean, it sounds way better than going out and running 60, 75 minutes, but mm -hmm. um, is the conclusion any different than what we already know from the research, from all of the HIT training um, that's already out there? Hmm. Hmm. That's my Patrick, question. what do you think? Yeah, I'll kind of go right down the middle of the two, y'all. And I'll say what makes it interesting is like, so first of all, I think Michelle and I key point, the key there is that it's intense training, right? They, or they get up and they don't just go for a walk for four seconds or however long the time is. They're like they don't just sprinting, stand up. Right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Which, I mean, sprinting for four seconds, I mean, that's, if you're like a pro athlete, that's a 40-yard dash. I mean, that's a mm -hmm. decent um, activity there. Uh, it's four but seconds. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. But, 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 but that's what makes it, but, but that's what's going to be my point, and that's where I kind of, Side with, with George, but that's what makes it so interesting is I feel like before the research was like, okay, high intensity training. So that means at least a minute of going hard, right? Or at least two minutes, something of that nature. Mm -hmm. But the fact that we saw some benefits off four seconds, mm -hmm. that's kind of cool. I mean, you could just run to your mailbox and back mm -hmm. and just be like, all right, well, we're going to be a child here and <laughs> um, you know, make a, a short game out of, you know, running, you know, to my front yard and back or, or something of that nature. Here, here's, so here's, kind of, here's what I want. It was a part that stood out. Here's what I want. What I want is for them to now do a okay. study that is right down the middle like that. 
right? What I want them to now do is a study where it's not necessarily four seconds of the hardest possible sprint you can do or an hour of zone two. I want them to do like one minute of air squats because that's kind of what I'm wondering about because, because that's actually operationalizing or able to be operationalized. That's something that, right. that if I were to come to you, Michelle, and say, hey, in all the Zoom calls you're talking on, if you take a minute every hour and just put pause and turn your mic off and turn your camera off and do one minute of air squats, it'll be, it, it, it will make you significantly healthier. That's something you could actually operationalize and do, right? Yeah, sure. Yeah, I got to do. I would imagine that that might leave you with pretty sore quads the next day, but <laughs> I think that you would find some, you know, benefit over time versus just sitting in your seat all day. Um, so. If anything, you're getting up and, you know, getting some blood flow down your legs. So, mm -hmm. um, yeah, I mean, interesting study. I don't know if it's, I don't find it to be shocking or anything. All right, very good. Well, I don't find it to be shocking, but- Also, I would love to see the bike that they used. I know, right? Yeah, they said it had a heavy flywheel, but there's no resistance actually on it. So I'm not sure so, totally how it works, but some of they've used- It's almost, the, I imagine it looks like an assault bike, but it doesn't have any of the resistance in a way. I mean, to get to max intensity in four seconds, yeah, that's gotta be a pretty interesting bike. For Let's sure. Let's try to find a picture of the bike. Right on. I'm with you. All right. Next thing we'll talk about the news that is most close to home for all of us. And that yeah. is the Peachtree Road mm -hmm. Race, uh, the Peachtree Road Race, which we've talked about so, so many times on this podcast. And it's worth what worthy of our talking about. It's the largest 10K in the world. Uh, normally has about 60,000 participants, 45,000 people have signed up for this year. It's always on July 4th. It is hot. It is known for all of its red, white and blue celebratory stuff. Uh, they've moved it to Thanksgiving. What do you think? Yeah, so we're all getting Peachtree Road Race 10K PRs this year because it's probably <laughs> going to be 30 degrees instead of 74 degrees and 100% humidity at the start and just finished a thunderstorm. Um, and I think we can still wear red, white, and blue. I mean, I think you're going to see some turkeys, but no, in all seriousness, I think there was a great article in the Atlanta Journal-Constitution by Mark Bradley that goes, you know, very thorough about why the Atlanta Track Club made this decision. I think we've said or I have said a few times that even though the Atlanta Track Club, you know, wanted to be kind of the first big race to come back in action by July 4th, as we get incrementally closer to July, even though they were still hopeful, I was pretty much resigned by last week that this race wasn't happening in July. So I think yeah. they made like all other big races a difficult decision, but I think as long as we don't get stuck with a big COVID-19 wave two that goes into the fall, um, I think it'll be a really successful day. I think it's a lot more meaningful than canceling it and running the regular Thanksgiving half marathon in 5k. I think, you know, that's about 15,000 people maybe. And I think people will want to come out, um, even though they couldn't do Peachtree the way that we usually do it in July, they'll kind of be there happy to participate in whatever way we can to call it a Peachtree road race for 2020. So, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I agree. I agree. Patrick, what do you think? Oh, I think it's going to be fascinating on so many levels. I mean, one, I wonder what the crowd's going to be like, right? Because we love the cold weather, but <laughs> if you're spectating, you prefer 75 in summer than 30. And yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so that was part of it. Uh, but I think they, so first of all, hats off to Atlanta Track Club. I'm sure this is a tough decision to make. I mean, no one wants to be the person to make the call to 
to cancel or postpone the Peachtree Road race. Mm -hmm. um, hats off to them for making the tough decision that had to be made. And then what potentially a smooth transition this could be from the 4th of July to Thanksgiving, when a lot of us are going to run the Thanksgiving race anyways. And even better, I think what part that kind of caps it off is that the number of people who would be upset by the Peachtree being canceled far outweighs the number of people who would be upset by like losing that Thanksgiving half. There are obviously right. some people who really love the half, right. but I think the Peachtree is the one with the, with the biggest pool by a landslide. For sure. Um, and then just as a runner, I think it's going to be really cool to see what happens to my time and your time, you know, <laughs> as you, we run the Peachtree for sometimes the 10th, 10th, 15th, 20th time. But this time it's the first time we're doing it in November. Mm -hmm. So it'll be interesting to see. I mean, it, we are, we tend to be kind of a very scientific academic podcast. This is like a scientist dream right here. That this is our one like control variable, <laughs> where we can be like, all right, well, what happens when we remove the, you know, insane July Atlanta heat? You know, mm -hmm. then how tough is this 10K really? Yeah, and there, and there have been times over the course of the past several years when it like rained that day, or it was just like an off day when it didn't happen to be as hot or something like that. And and you can see that both in in the times of the leaders and in the sort of the general experience of most of the people in the field. Um, and so this is going to be a much different race for everybody. I mean, the 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 heat is like. The heat is like a fundamental part of the Peachtree Road Race, and it always has been. You know, the, the most famous poster of the Peachtree Road Race is of this guy in the sprinklers at the end, and it was taken like in 1978 or something like that. Yeah. Um, and so, so the, the, the idea that, that it's going to be a, potentially a cold, not just a cool, but like a cold Peachtree Road Race. I mean, I, I've, run, I've run Thanksgiving races where it was 23 degrees at the start. Um, we'll see. You know, I mean, Michelle's fired up about it. I don't, you know, I can't imagine standing in that starting crowd and it being 20 degrees, but we'll So see. I don't want it to be 20 degrees, but what if we all got <laughs> to run the 10K and it was 47 or 52 degrees at the start? So yeah. it's yeah. not cold enough that your muscles are going to freeze up after you warm up, but it's not hot enough that the heat's going to affect your race performance. It would be nice. I'm super excited. I think it'll be great. Um, and if you didn't sign up the first time, like I didn't, because you didn't actually think that it was going to happen, they are going <laughs> to reopen registration mm -hmm. and do an abbreviated. If you were a member of the Atlanta Track Club by February 1st, you'll have three days head start mm -hmm. in a confirmed spot if you want to enter. And then they'll reopen a lottery for whatever spots are remaining after that. Mm -hmm. So and just to clarify, definitely sign it up. If you've already registered, um, you're in. You, you're in. You're yeah, in. You don't have to yeah. re-register. Nope. Yeah, right on. So, so, and and one of y'all said this. Do you, are you going to wear something red, white, and blue, or are you going to wear something turkey trotish? Well, I'm going to wear blue and white, I guess. <laughs> yeah, I know, right? I'm going to wear I'm the ITL blue like you normally do, right? Yeah, yeah, but uh, but yeah, I I think it'll be interesting because because like people spend I mean, my family, people in my family have spent a year gathering stuff for the Peachtree Road Race. Yeah. Like, like sure. oh, they'll, they'll see something on sale in November and they'll say, oh, I'm going to get this and wear in the Peachy Road Race next July. Right. Because it's like crazy sparkler sunglasses that are right. red, white and blue with flags on them. Right. And that's not going to be the case. So Mizuno had already put out their their special edition Peachtree Road Race shoes and they're red, white and blue. So, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll see what happens. I assume they're not going to change the T-shirt as well, which will have an America theme. But. It'll be way too cold to wear the t-shirt in November. I'm so excited. So, so. I didn't even think about that. Usually you wear your t-shirt around town. Now it's like, all right, I'll put it on under my jacket. Right, yeah. right, exactly. Yeah, or put it on over your jacket. You got to show it off, man. 
Um, all right. So speaking That's of things that, that are going to be happening in the fall, I, I've joked with a couple of people that there's a lot of eggs being put in the no, November basket right now that like all these races are moving to September, October, and especially November, it feels like. Uh, and so, you know, I certainly hope that the, the, they'll be able to pull them off, but, but we'll have to see. Um, there's this week, and we'll only talk about this for, you know, a few seconds because I know neither one of you are cycling fans, but a, a cycling calendar leaked this week that basically said, okay, this is how the UCI, the International Governing Body of Cycling, is envisioning the fall. And it's basically 71 days of racing from August 1st until November 14th. And they take what is normally a year's worth of racing and they do all of it during that time. And it's a little bit mm -hmm. insane. And so it starts on Saturday, August 1st, like I said, you have this kind of slow August, but then this Tour de France begins on August 29th and goes until September 20th. Two days after the Tour de France ends is the World Championship Road Race. The week mm -hmm. after that is the start of the Giro d'Italia, which goes from October 3rd to October 25th. While the Giro d'Italia is going on, you have major races like liege Bastogne liege the Amstel Gold Race, the Tour of Flanders, all going on literally while the Giro d'Italia is also taking place. The Vuelta a España starts on October 20th before the Giro d'Italia is even over. And it goes through the 8th of November. Paris-Roubaix, which is called the Queen of the Classics, takes place while the Vuelta a España is going on, and that's on November 1st. Um, and so I, I was trying to think of a good sports metaphor to help you all understand how insane this is, but it, it's, it's almost like all of these races that are rescheduling right now, if they all were on the same day. Um, it's, it, it's, it's like literally going through an entire playoff, like playing all the rounds of the playoff at the same time. So go ahead. Right, or the same weekend. Right. So for the races that overlap, can any right. of the riders ride one part of one race and then get in for another part of another race? So, so about, about a third of the field that starts Grand Tour, so about a third of the field that starts the Tour de France or the Giro d'Italia or the Volta España doesn't finish it. And some of them okay. drop out strategically, like you're saying. And so I imagine there's gonna okay. be a lot of people that do like the first two weeks of the Tour de France and they're gonna kind of do it as training. Then they're gonna drop out, rest up, so that they'll be able to do okay in the world championship road race since that's only two days after the end of the Tour de France. Because if you go all the way through and that what about the Tour de France, you're gonna be super tired. And what about the resources that might overlap for all these oh, races? Oh, totally, like, yeah. Do you so, need so, so, any so of like, the same like, bikes and people and... Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, and and that's and, a good and, point. And staff yeah. members and, and follow cars and all yeah. of that stuff. Yeah, and so right. so like a team, any old team, like like Enios, for example, Enios has like a team bus, and they have like all their trainers, and they have their massage therapists, and they have their coaches, and everybody else who takes care of their. And of course, they have their riders too, right? Um, and they tend to put all of their riders in one race, and then they finish, and then you have some mix of those riders go to another race, and some mix. So literally, they're gonna have to be splitting their squads. Because nobody, you can't, like you suggest, you can't literally do both the Giro d'Italia and the one-day races there during the Giro d'Italia and then just come back into the Giro d'Italia. You can't do that. Um, and so, yeah, it's, it's a little bit insane. It's a little bit nuts. So instead of, canceling, instead of canceling one or the other of these races, are they doing this so that the athletes have the potential to make the money? Or um, so, is it just that each race wants to get their race in and they have sponsor I think it's, you know, it's the latter. and stuff like yeah, that. Yeah, it's, it's the latter. So, so okay. that, that's a good segue into the next thing we're going to talk about. But, but the pay structure inside of cycling is such that like the, the award setup is not um, – the award set that, – that's only a small part of what you're actually getting paid. 
Um, most of the money is made via your team salary and more than that from your, from your individual sponsorships. Um, and so, so most of them right now are still making a lot of money, even though they're not actually able to race. These are the people at the highest level of cycling, not the people yeah. on like the continental team and the semi pros and all that sort of thing. They make very little. Um, but, but most of the, the, the top end pros, the world tour pros, um, yeah, they get, you know, I think you get what, $250,000 or something like that for winning the tour de France. But if you get that, you split it among everybody on the team. And so ultimately your take home, if you end up winning the tour de France is only a few thousand, you know, a couple of tens of thousands of dollars. Um, and mm -hmm. most of the money you made was from your contract with, um, your bike manufacturers and your team and, and all that sort of thing. So, yeah. So it's not so much about trying to get it for the athlete's sake. It's more about for the people who are sponsoring the races and for the races themselves. Yeah. Got it. Um, so on that note, there are a lot of athletes who are struggling in track and field right now. So um, runners in track and field tend to earn money in three main ways, through sponsors, through prize money, and through bonuses from races and appearance fees. Um, and and given, on, given that, depending on the level of the athlete, that can represent about two-thirds or even a whole lot more of their income. It comes from appearance fees and from prize money and bonuses at races. Um, uh, there was a Nigerian sprinter who, who is named Blessing Okafare, uh, and I thought she had an interesting quotation about it. She said, when it comes to athletics compared to other sports, we are broke. Football is very glamorous, and the players make a lot of money. For what I do for a living, I can't sit on the bench and be paid money, but a footballer can. If I want to make money, I have to show up and compete. There are some competitions where if you fall start, you don't get your appearance fee, or you get half if you don't finish the race. Um, and so without races going on right now, both races on the roads, like the marathon majors, and of course, like Diamond League track meet, um, which all but one of the races has already been announced to be canceled for the summer, um, without the Olympics taking place this summer, um, it's kind of a disaster for athletes. Um, yeah. 70% of them are actually losing their income right now. What were you going to say, Patrick? No, I, I mean, I agree. Um, I mean, and, and money is what drives all of this track and field. You mentioned the cycling schedule right now, MLB and NBA trying to figure out how they want to finish their season for the exact same reasons. They just, they want to be able to collect the checks from the TV networks. The players want to be able to collect the checks from the teams. And it's, it's fascinating to see like, um, you know, where the line is drawn. Like the NBA made it 64 games in roughly, but all the TV contracts say they have to make it to game 70 to get the check. Hmm. And so that's what you'll notice. A lot of them are trying to figure out, all right, how do we just get six more games? In? <laughs> right. Yeah. And we're talking hundreds of millions of dollars worth of checks will be written mm -hmm. once that one single threshold is crossed. But until then. <laughs> right on. Have so, fun. <laughs> so with, with, with this in mind, so with this in mind and, and, and so that, that, that they can avoid, uh, so that world athletics can avoid the governing body of sport can avoid having a bunch of destitute athletes. They're actually announced this week, a fund, uh, through their what's called the International Athletics Foundation, which is basically mm -hmm. the charity arm of World Athletics, where they said we're going to give $500,000, we're going to $500,000 to athletes around the world who basically are losing 40 to 70% of their income or more um, because they're not able to, to show up at races, collect appearance fees, get prize money and get bonus money and that sort of thing. These are people who have like very small sponsorships and all that sort of thing. Um, right. Uh, I mean, Michelle, what do you think? Um. So first of all, does it bother anyone else that we now call track and field globally athletics? <laughs> like the term athletics just, you know, is synonymous with running. And I think it's a little bit interesting now, but yeah, now that that's, that's it's what they've called, always called in the, in the, in the Olympics. That's all it's always been called. It's not called track and field. It's called athletics. 
Right, but they used to because the athletes do track and field. Come on, Michelle, what podcast right. do you think you're on? <laughs> well, now right. that the name is officially changed to World Athletics, mm-hmm. I guess I just read it a lot more often. Um, so I'm not sure how that. far half a million dollars is going to go. I mean, the athletes in Africa are literally have nothing. Mm-hmm. Um, people, right. you know, in Aiten in the training camps, people aren't even going out for runs. Mm-hmm. There's, you know, I think Kipchoge went back home. Um, there's no races, and I think there's a ton of just runners on North American soil that have these minimal, maybe a $5,000 contract, maybe just a shoe and apparel contract and no mm-hmm. monthly stipend. So, I mean, $500,000 is great, but how far is that really going to go to support mm-hmm. the athletes whose, you know, sole source of income has been taken away by a world pandemic that's completely out of control. So I think it's a nice gesture. I don't think it's nearly enough. I agree. Um, that was my first thought as well. So, so for comparison's sake, the London Marathon, which was supposed to be in April and was moved to September or moved to October, um, the the London Marathon prize purse is three hundred thirteen thousand dollars. And so, yeah, the, crazy. so, so they're basically <laughs> saying that we are going to give, uh, you know, a little bit more, two hundred thousand dollars more, but we're going to give a little bit more than what one race gives. And that's just their prize purse. That's not their appearance fees and all that sort of thing. Right. So, so, so yeah, I, I was struck by that as well. Is that it, initially you see that and you're like, oh, that's good. They're trying to help out their athletes. They're trying to keep the sport from kind of withering away and some, some of you know, tomorrow's stars from, from going hungry and, and maybe finding some other way besides running to support themselves. Um, but, then, but then with just even a little bit more scrutiny, you realize how oh, half a million dollars is not all that much when you're talking about something this massive and this many athletes. Um, yeah. Other thoughts, Patrick? I mean, it's, it's the, the game everybody's trying to play and everybody's trying to figure out how do they um, keep this gravy train going. It, it, this is not going to be a story that ends anytime soon because then you look at a lot of sports that just track and field that they say, okay, well, we're going to base next year's budget based on the previous year's um, revenue. And so it, it, this is going to have a ripple effect a few, dear, few years down the road. And it'll be interesting to see how it plays out. Absolutely. I agree. I agree. All right. So since we talked about something kind of depressing, let's talk about some things that are bringing us joy. Michelle, you go first. Sure. So Shalane Flanagan posted this week um, that they adopted a baby boy. She's been extremely vocal about her desire to become a mom. And um, she and her husband, Steve Edwards, fostered teenage girls a few years ago. And uh, they stayed with them for a year and then went to college. And she's I've heard her on live interviews, you know, she said, we're looking for a baby. If anybody knows of a baby they wanted, um, they weren't really, I think they were indifferent on the potential age of the baby, but I think they wanted uh, born on American soil. I think they, there were a lot of, you know, stuff with Russian or Chinese adoption agencies. Um, and she posted a picture holding what looked to be a baby that was just a few hours old. And I think social media, you know, the whole, running media world lit up with uh excitement for her so mm-hmm. it's great to see her with a baby um Shalane's a mom and I just think if that doesn't make you smile then I don't know what's going on <laughs> absolutely may that child grow up and go someplace that is not the University of North Carolina okay <laughs> <laughs> I mean that child is already bleeding Targill blue so it, it is not no it is it not. is no, because nobody bleeds Tar Heel blue because that's just a disgusting thing that people from the University of North Carolina say. Um, <laughs> Patrick, what's bringing you joy? 
Uh, I guess what's bringing me joy is uh, watching the Last Dance documentary on the Michael Jordan final season with the Bulls in 97. Double dipping on the Last Dance. So, so you uh, brought that up fantastic. a few weeks ago, and you said you haven't watched it, but you've watched it now. I've, I actually got a chance to catch up on it. It's fantastic. First of all, I mean, it has cameo appearances by Dennis Rodman, Carmen Electra, Justin Timberlake, and Barack Obama. I mean, what <laughs> else in society brings those four people together? Michelle, um, do you know who Carmen Electra is? I don't. <laughs> and I'm, I don't and this is not a fair question because you asked this question already knowing the answer, it seems like. So I did, I did. Why don't you tell but, us? But, but, but I'll, I'll say this. You knew who Nikki Hiltz was when I threw that to you without any warning whatsoever. So, sure. So, we didn't even mention Nikki's like, running credentials, which so, I well, sort of feel bad about. Sorry, Nikki, mention. but... But, but no, Car Carmen Electra was was uh, was a was a celebrity in the 1990s who was largely a celebrity because she was good looking, um, and so she was kind of like Jenny McCarthy, kind of like Kim Kardashian is today, stuff like that. But uh, by all means, if someone wants to correct me and, and give me a more succinct way of defining who exactly Carmen Electra was, please do. But I think she dated Dennis Rodman. Right and we will censor right? responses if necessary. So, so anyway, but, um, anyway, keep going. That's that, not that's it, not what it's all anyway, about. Anyway, so I've. I've watched the documentary. I've also reread the book here, Play for Keith, which, which is really based on, written by my favorite sports writer, David Halberstam. And it's just a phenomenal look back to see how things developed. Just a little tidbit you might be interested in. I was reading up on uh, when Michael Jordan left the University of North Carolina. And he was looking at making the shoe. And you're deal. cheering because he left, right? Absolutely. It's just so easy to troll on UNC. Like. But what, what thing you might be interested with, George, is he was looking to make a he, he was looking to um, make a deal with a shoe company to to be sponsored. And at that time, um, nineteen eighty four, the NBA wasn't quite as big. It wasn't quite as global. It definitely wasn't as global as it is now. Um, and so, you know, he had been courted a little bit by Adidas. Or actually, he reached out to Adidas because that was his favorite shoe. And Adidas said, "Thanks, but no thanks. We don't take chances on college players like you, Mister Jordan." And he also reached out to Converse, um, and then Converse, and they just didn't quite get along. It, it just didn't happen. And Nike at that time had never had a superstar basketball player. They didn't even really have a basketball line at that point hmm. because they were mostly just a running shoe company. And that particular year, they decided to pivot, and a guy made a pitch. He said, we need to find a young superstar who we can get on the cheap, and we'll just throw all of our marketing resources at him. That was the exact year Michael Jordan came out. They selected him and talk about timing. So it was kind of fascinating to see in the documentary and read about how, first of all, Jordan wanted to be with Adidas and he, he kept pushing to be Adidas all the way. Of course, Adidas probably kicking themselves now they didn't make that deal. Oh, yeah. And then what, what happened, what got him in the door with Nike is that quite honestly, they were so new. They didn't really have a basketball department. So his agent could kind of run the show and say, look, I want to make a whole marketing strategy. I want to really kind of do a deep dive into this. And that's how it happened. So it was kind of fascinating to see, because now we think of Nike as this big behemoth. Now we think of Michael Jordan as, I mean, we use Michael Jordan to describe somebody. Like we might say, Michelle, you're the Michael Jordan of long distance running or of, you know, good podcasting. Um, but I would at the that. time, it was just some college student and, it, and Nike was a running shoe you know company so it was kind of fascinating to, to do that time travel and realize all the different things that had to happen for him to sign with Nike and for those two names to become such behemoths in sports in general right on
Very cool. Very cool. Uh, yeah. When you think of, when you think of, of Michael Jordan and Nike, I mean, they're, they're, they're totally symbiotic and completely inseparable. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then, then they, they ultimately about what, seven years later, kind of having learned and having some success with Jordan ended up doing the same thing with Tiger Woods, right? This sort of, uh, you know, they, they, they explode into the golf scene by, by giving Tiger Woods a massive contract and, of course, you know how that worked out because Tiger Woods turned out to be pretty good. So, um, well, and it's fascinating too because the strategy they had to change was before Jordan, they were like, "All right, we're going to throw a thousand dollars at thirty players and see what happens." Mm. Well, that's obviously not going to work. So, and then they had to decide, "All right, let's throw a lot of money at one player, mm. build them up like a Tiger Woods, like a Michael Jordan." We have to be right. We have to make sure we pick the right person. We can't pick somebody who's not good. <laughs> But other than that, it's a, it, was, it was a total kind of um, change in their strategy. And Jordan was the first one where they decided this is the route we have to go. Instead of dabbling here and there and just having five or six or, you know, they actually had dozens of just smaller players. Let's just pick one guy who's going to be on our TV screen. Worked out pretty well for him. Right on, right on. All right, so that sort of loosely – translates into the thing that's bringing me joy. I was going to talk about an article and all of its related links I read recently about Millie Vanilli on the 30th anniversary of their fall from grace. But instead... Uh, they might be on the Jordan documentary. Here so, so, no, they were great. So <laughs> the first, the, the first, the first, that's a good point. Um, the first ever behind the music, do you remember that show from VH1? The first ever oh, behind the music was actually about Millie Vanilli. And I remember watching the premiere of it back in the day. But anyway, that was great, but not what I'm going to talk about. Instead, I want to mention to you, I seem to come back to these YouTube things so much because evidently that's what's bringing me joy right now. But my cousin... Uh, is starting a new podcast um, and it's called Grab the Remote. Um, and he and some of his buddies are talking about movies. Um, and he's like, George, we got to get you on there to talk about movies. And I was like, there's not a whole lot of movies I can talk about. I can talk about Rocky. And he says, oh, wait, we've already done a Rocky episode. We've already recorded it because I have another Rocky expert for you. And so anyway, um, but, but yeah, he's, he's literally putting it out right now. It's called Grab the Remote. And while we were talking about Rocky and talking about movies and talking about his new podcast, stuff like that, he said, have you seen the video, the college humor video on YouTube where they act like Rocky Four is a 30 for 30 actual event? And I was like, no. And so, of course, as soon as I got the phone with him, I Google it and I look it up and it's fantastic. But basically, it's, it's only about five minute long video by this you know, YouTuber called College Humor, which a lot of folks know pretty well. Um, and, and it's in the style of an ESPN 30 for 30 documentary. And the name of the documentary um, is Balboa Ends the Cold War. And it treats the nice. fight from... Uh, from the 1985 movie Rocky IV as if it actually happened, right? Um, and, and they have, just like in documentary style, they, they mix in all these historical things and they have text across the screen and they have academicians talking about it, and they have sports people setting the stage in the context. They're sitting at their desk, you know, and all these different things like that. Um, and then it kind of ends with, with somebody saying, you know, I really think that Rocky Balboa was, was always really uh, bitter that Ronald Reagan didn't give him the credit he deserved for helping end the Cold War. Uh, and it's great. Um, I used to always talk about Rocky Four when I taught AP World History. Um, and, and it used to be one of my students' favorite days of the year because I would get so into it talking about like Rocky Four as a piece of Cold War propaganda, which is effectively what it is. Um, yeah. And so it was funny to see it, see it kind of presented as call it, by, by college humor. 
not only spoofing Rocky Four and what Rocky Four was, but also spoofing, if you will, ESPN and 30 for 30. So if you want to see something that, 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 that's clever, not all that provocative, but, but, but certainly a lot of fun, uh, check out the, uh, the, the College Humor doing the parody 30 for 30 on uh, Balboa ends the Cold War about what if Rocky Four actually happened. So check it out. Yeah, and I saw a similar spoof. It was it was like the thirty for thirty like voiceover for uh, the Michael Scott basketball game. I don't know if you've seen that one. It's like, I haven't seen that. What one, if you're so. the only one who believes in yourself, and it shows him just like <laughs> missing the shot entirely? So good to it's know. Well, good. See, now I know what I'm doing immediately after the podcast. So I appreciate that, Patrick. Um, you won't regret it. I promise. Right on. Right on, Michelle. Thanks for being with us once again. Thank you, George. Good so, to see you, Patrick. Patrick. Patrick, good seeing you. Don't work too hard, man. Thanks, everybody. That'll do it for another edition of the Most Pleasant Exhaustion Podcast. We appreciate you joining us. You can find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash pleasantpodcast. You can find us on Twitter at pleasantpodcast. You can find us on Instagram, Most Pleasant Exhaustion. And you can always download our podcast from Stitcher, SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, or Spotify. Don't forget to check out our sponsor, ITL Coaching and Performance at itlcoaching.com, on Twitter at itlcoaching, at Facebook, facebook.com slash itlcoachingandperformance, and on Instagram, itlcoaching. You can check out Blue Pineapple Travel at bluepineappletravel.com, on Facebook at facebook.com slash bluepineappletravel, or on Instagram, bluepineappletravel. And finally, SlayerX. You can find them at slayerx.com, on Facebook at facebook.com slash here4slayerx. That's the number four, here4slayerx. On Instagram at here4slayerx, again the number four, and on Twitter at officialslayrx. Don't forget the discount code PLEASANT2020. On behalf of Patrick Ollinger and Michelle Frank, this is George Darden. We appreciate you joining us on the Most Pleasant Exhaustion Podcast.